Hey friend, thanks so much for meeting me here at Frothy Monkey in beautiful downtown Franklin, Tennessee. It's a great place to get a good cup of joe and share together in some good conversation. Anyway, be looking at the menu. I know you're new here. Decide what you want. Text it to me. I'm going to go ahead and get in line and place our order. Hey, you're listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the world, and other things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Our mission, always advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. The title of this podcast series is Plain Revelation. Believe it or not, this is season five, episode 89. The title of today's podcast, Revelation 2, Smyrna. Subtitle, Great Job. Fear not. Keep on being faithful. Why? Because you win. I want to start by reading the verses, the letter to the church at Smyrna. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. Write to the angel of the church in Smyrna. Thus says the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. Smyrna was north of Ephesus on the Gulf of the Aegean Sea in the province of Asia Minor. It was a successful city rivaling Pergamos and Ephesus. It really had it all, a good harbor and wide paved streets all on one of the chief highways to the interior of Asia Minor, which made it a trading center of both imports and exports. It was celebrated for its schools of science, medicine, and and attractive buildings. In 23 AD, a temple was built in honor of Emperor Tiberius and his mother Julia, But real quickly, here are some overarching points that I want you to remember about this passage of Scripture. As you think about these things, they're going to encourage your spirit. Number one, the declaration of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's repeated at least seven times in this book. And the declaration of his death and resurrection empowers the Christian to face tribulation up to and including death with total faith and great boldness. Jesus here is described as the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's also described in verse 8 as the first and the last, the one who was dead and came to life. Here we see a repeat of the term the first and the last, which was featured in chapter 1, verse 17, and a repeat of the one who was dead, which was featured in chapter 1, verse 18. It literally means who became dead and lived again. The emphasis is on the resurrection of Christ. Number two, Jesus knows the true condition of people. In a sense, he says, I know you and I know them. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Jesus sees people for who and what they really are. There is no deceiving Jesus regarding who you really are on the inside. A friend of mine works for one of the wealthiest people on the planet. He had never met him before and had never seen a photograph of him. At his first council meeting of the business he attended, He went into the boardroom with the other team members. He was waiting for the man to arrive. Finally, a man who had been in the room for some time went to the head of the boardroom table, sat down, and said they needed to start the meeting. My friend was shocked to discover the man who had already been in the room was the multi-billionaire. He seemed to be just one of the team. By appearance, he did not stand out as one of the wealthiest people on the planet. 
The fact is, you can't judge a book by its cover, but Jesus knows what's inside the book. And so he reminds the church at Smyrna that I know you, but he also knows their enemy. He says, I know you. He says, I know your affliction and your poverty. Literally, he's real specific here. He says, the affliction of you and the poverty of you. It's very specific. And the affliction Christ speaks of is distress that is brought about by outward circumstances, trouble that inflicts distress, oppression, affliction, tribulation. Poverty is a state of having insufficient possessions, real poverty, of which we really know nothing about here in the United States. Even the homeless people on the streets of L.A. are rich compared to first century poverty and the poverty across our globe outside the U.S. now. It's inferred here in Jesus' assessment of the situation in Smyrna that their condition was caused by the fake Jews who openly persecuted the Christians. But here's Christ's assessment of the church at Smyrna. Yes, you are under affliction. Yes, you are poor, but you are rich. You're wealthy. You're well-to-do. So my friend, I want you to see the means of assessing wealth in the resurrected realm where Jesus lives is totally different than that of this earth. Jesus tells the pastor and the church that they are rich. Jesus is not speaking in figurative language. He is telling them, you appear to be one thing, but yet you are another. You are really rich in a real sense of the word. And then Jesus says that I know them. He says, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not. The term slander here is where we get our word blasphemy from, blasphemia in the Greek. And it means speech that denigrates or defames, reviling, denigration, disrespect, slander. This type of speech can be spoken against Almighty God, but folks, you know what? It can also be spoken against human beings, even against the devil himself. In Jude 9, it says that when Michael the archangel was in argument with Satan, over the burial of Moses' body, that Michael would not blaspheme Satan, but instead said, the Lord rebuke you. By inference, it seems to connect the denigrating speech of the fake Jews to the Christians, but the overarching principle here is that in totality, they are blasphemers. In their service to Satan, they systematically use their mouths to condemn, denigrate, defame, revile, disrespect, and slander everyone. Their mouths reveal them for what they are, worshipers of Satan. Oh, They may not be going into their secret meetings in the middle of the night and burning sacrifices on the altar to Satan, but Jesus declares them as such. And he says, they're not Jews, not Jews. Keep in mind, in the first century, as the church of Jesus Christ was being first established, the new converts to Christianity considered themselves Jews. And Jesus makes it clear that the real Jews are the Jews that follow him. The Apostle Paul makes it clear in the book of Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 28. He says, A person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart, by the Spirit, not the letter. In other words, not by the law. Not only are they not Jews, but they are a synagogue of Satan. They come together and they serve Satan. But the third thing, on this planet, there are two types of people. There are us and there are them, forever divided by the ones we worship and serve. Christians serve Jesus. The two-faced persecutors who call themselves God's people serve Satan. Number four, a person's self-assessment and or earthly condition may be 180 degrees out from the truth. As I said, the Christians lived here in Smyrna in persecution and poverty. 
The world saw them as weak, impoverished, and easy to pick on and tear down. Yet in the realm of the resurrected one, they are rich. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. UV rays, ultraviolet rays, can destroy the plastic on your dash of your car. It can burn your skin to a crisp. It can permanently damage your eyesight, but you can't see it. Those fake Jews masqueraded as servants of God, but they weren't. They were servants of Satan. Number five, suffering, the devil, and death by martyrdom are all under the watchful eye of Jesus and are a part of his providential plan and care for his servants. Let me say this again, because this is a key sticking point for many people who call themselves Christians. And this is a key sticking point in many churches today that call themselves Christian churches. You never hear about the Christian's suffering. You never hear about the Christian's trials. You never hear about the Christian's martyrdom. But yet all of these things go on in the lives in Christians today. And Jesus said, in the days to come. And he reminds the church in Smyrna, hey, you're doing a great job. I find nothing wrong with you. But what I'm encouraging you to do is stay faithful don't fear, fear not, and be prepared to suffer that these things are coming. So let me say it again. Point number five, suffering the devil and death by martyrdom are all under the watchful eye of Jesus and are a part of his providential plan and care for his servants. Jesus is known as the suffering servant. Let me remind you once again that in this passage, Jesus drives home the fact that he was dead. And he was alive again. He's alive. He suffered death. So you and I have got to come in to the reality the Christian suffers. But Jesus makes it very clear that ultimately we win. That's what's at stake here, folks. And Jesus is preparing those who love him, who are serving him faithfully. You've got to get tough. You've got to get your head in the game. And you've got to think about these things in the proper way so that you will be a conqueror. The suffering does not come to all in equal intensity. Some are slandered, he says. Some are impoverished and slandered. Some will be imprisoned, and some suffer the martyr's death. He goes on to say, as I've read, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Here we see that the person really behind all of the affliction and the suffering and the turmoil and the torment is the devil, the Diabolos. The term Diabolos is a title for the devil. It literally means slanderer, adversary. And so the bottom line is these titles of Satan are descriptive in nature, and they give us an insight into how he conducts himself on this planet. And isn't it interesting that the slandering from these false Jews is being driven and piloted by the fallen angel leader, the Diabolos himself? So we need to keep this in mind. Who are we dealing with when people are crushing us and seeking to tear us down and to take us completely down? And some people across the globe at this moment are being persecuted to the point of death. Who's ultimately behind it? Satan, the Diabolos. Number six, all people who through the crucible of this life are proved to be true servants of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are given the crown of eternal life and the second death will not touch them. Friend, that is fantastic news. Those who persevere, who prove out to be the real deal, win. There in chapter 2, verse 10, the second part, it says, Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. 
Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. This is a promise to all. The one who conquers will never be harmed by the second death. That word there that says the one who conquers, it means to win in the face of obstacles, to be the victor, to conquer, to overcome, prevail. This is spoken of about Christians, the one who is victorious. So folks, the bottom line is as we hang tough, that we win. The seventh thing I want you to see There are two commandments, again, to be obeyed in this passage of Scripture. The first commandment is, in no way fear. Fear not. It's in the imperative form. That means it is a commandment. And this is something that we have the capability to do. The second commandment is, keep on becoming faithful. Again, it's in the imperative. That means it is a direct commandment from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, faith is a gift from God, but you have to be diligent in it. Faith doesn't just jump on you. You have to receive it and keep on walking in it. And the message from Christ is be faithful until death. And that doesn't necessarily mean martyrdom death, though that is implied here. It also means just keep on being faithful until you die. Because in fact, many of us will not suffer persecution to the point of martyrdom, but we all live until we die. And so the admonition from Christ to the church at Smyrna is keep on being faithful until death. I discipled a man who had been an alcoholic. He would stop for a period of time and walk in faith and obedience. Then he would pick up the alcohol again and proceed to doubt his salvation in Jesus. Every time. Drinking, doubt. Drinking, doubt. He never took responsibility for his lapse of faith. He played the doubt as such a mystery. The last time I saw him and his wife, I was not aware that they were in the barbecue restaurant where I was with my family. It was a large restaurant. His wife spotted me from across the room and came over to my table and told me he was back drinking again. She pointed out where he was seated. Having grown up in an alcoholic home, I could tell from a distance that he was intoxicated. His wife asked me to pray for him. The same old doubts of his salvation came rushing back in. Friend, we've got to take responsibility for the gift of faith to keep on believing. It is a choice that you and I have to make. Fearlessness and faithfulness are acts of obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christ's sustaining strength empowers us through His Holy Spirit to persevere until the very end, to the day of our redemption, with a promise from the ever-living one that we have won and that we will enjoy victorious life in Him. Friend, the spiritual pipeline is secure for those who really know Jesus. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, verses 29 and 30, the Apostle Paul puts it this way, For whom he did foreknow, talking about you and me, if you know Jesus, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. Folks, we've got to fear not, and we've got to keep on having faith. Why? Because we are winners, and we will win, and we will live forever in eternal glory with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that, my friend, I bid you peace.